Today, I'm joined by James Humphrey Stone, who is a very well-known estate agent. He runs his own self-employed estate agency model. He used to be big in the game at Purple Bricks and has been in estate agency now for uh, in excess of um, 19 years, coming up 20 years. It is indeed. You obviously started as a child, James. I did. <laughs> uh, James, what I'd like to do is go through your story, your journey of being an estate agency. The, the ups and the downs, the trials and the tribulations. So uh, if you, you know, to reflect on where you've been so you can help the boys and girls out there in estate and letting agency land uh, learn from your mistakes, but also learn from your wins as well. Is that okay? Absolutely. Good stuff. So, um, what year were you born, my friend? 1987. 1987. Um, whereabouts were you born? Reading. Okay. Um, Mum and dad, um, and um, any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got a younger sister, Victoria. Okay. She's 10 years junior. Okay. So, um, growing up, what did you learn from your dad? What did I learn from my dad? Uh, family values, work ethic. Um, what did your dad do? He was carpenter and joiner. Okay. Or is carpenter and joiner, yeah. And what did your mum teach you? Strength of character, I'd say. And both my parents were very family focused. Um, so, yeah, I think family values for both, both, both of my parents, really, were the, the core. And when you were growing up, did you have any part-time jobs or...? Yeah, so the earliest opportunity I could earn money, I wanted to. So I had a paper round um, when I was first, well, the earliest age I could get one paper round. I did pot washing jobs at restaurants. Um, they asked me to do some waiting there as well. Um, I've worked as a part-time while I was going through college, uh, part-time in a local co-op. Um, but yeah, always had the desire to earn money from a young age. Why is that? Do you know, that's probably instilled from my parents as well. So yeah, where we're talking about what they've instilled in me. Um, but you said just... it was hard work, not money. Yeah, I suppose it's having the ability to make my own money. And if I wanted something, it wasn't just given to me. It was a case of, um, you know, show willing towards it. So, for example, I always had to pay keep. As soon as I started earning money, I was paying keep at home. Um, but then by return, for the fact that I'd invested there, my dad helped me buy my first car but with that money. So it was, I guess, understanding the value of money as well was instilled. Um, as you were going through secondary school, did you know what you wanted to be? The honest answer to that, Chris, is no. Okay. No, I didn't. I oh, fancy a bit of the chippy game. I had a go at it, um, but if you ask my dad, it's definitely, definitely not my line of work. <laughs> it, it didn't follow through the DNA. Definitely not. No, 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 no. He's very good at what he does. Um, was definitely in the top 10% of people that did his job. Um, I was nowhere near as good as him. <laughs> definitely more with this rather than these. <laughs> So, uh, what, did you leave at 16 or 18? Uh, I actually, so I went to college. So I did nine months in college and then decided to leave um, because the opportunity to become an estate agent came up. Um, How did it come up? <laughs> so I passed my driving test and I bumped into an old school friend. Um, he had left school when we had the ability to at 16. He went and got this job as an estate agent straight out of school. Who's, um, that, who's that with? Uh, it was an independent agent called EP Properties. Yep. One office branch. Um, he, I bumped into him just at random. Um, he, as I say, he was a school friend, not a close friend. And he said, oh, we're looking to recruit someone. Would you be interested in coming to talk to us about a trainee negotiator role? I think you'd love my boss. I think you'd be really, really good at what we do. Uh, why don't you come out and talk with him? Um, and the rest, the rest is history. 
Can you remember your first day as an estate agent? Vaguely. Okay. Vaguely. What did you, were you still living at home at this point? Yeah. What did your mum and dad think about you leaving college to, get, to become an estate agent? My mum and dad were always very supportive. Um, I think they also just acknowledged that I'm very strong-willed. So once I set my mind on something, I will do it. Um, so they questioned becoming an estate agent, obviously. Um, what do you think that was more... I mean, what were you doing at college? Business and maths. Okay. And there was this job that was, was just 2004. Yes. So the market was on fire at that point. Yep. Quite easy to be an estate agent then, wasn't it? Yep. <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, the boss that I had, my very first boss is probably the one that I would attribute a lot of the character I became in as a estate agent to him, a guy called Simon Pearson. Um, he was ex-Romans, launched EP Properties, um, very one of the nicest guys I've ever met and a very, very, very good estate agent. Brilliant with people, very focused on getting the very best outcome for people. Um, and by meeting him, I just made my decision there and then. It's interesting that your, your boss that you locked up to is ex-Romans and he set up his own agency. And I know we're jumping forward now, but now you help estate agents start their own estate agency. Um, why did he set up his own estate agency? Why did he? I, I don't I don't truly know. Um, Was it the man is? Potentially so for, for, for him. Um, you know, he liked the finer things in life. Very typical of a state agent of a certain okay, era. Um, he, I think he, I think he'd gotten to a point, if I'm being honest, from my recollection of that, because it was a long time ago, he'd got frustrated by the way in which the, the way in which that business Romans had become. Um, and he wanted to be more service led rather than volume and, and KPI led. Okay. So that was in Camberley. I think the year later, because you were a trainee neg, you went to become a neg at their Basingstoke office? Yeah. So whilst I was at EP Properties, um, Richard Lowe, who owned the Property Explorer in Basingstoke, him and Simon were very good friends. They launched their businesses at very similar times. EP Properties and the Property Explorer merged. Um, and Richard came and spent quite a lot of time in our office in Camberley. And he approached me one day and just said, look, we're, we want to expand the operation in Basingstoke. It's a bigger operation. Um, will you come over to Basingstoke? So I did. How old were you at 2005? 18. Did you have a company car at the time? No. No, never had a company car. Never had a company never car? Never had a company car. I mean, that's a fair old journey between Camberley and Basingstoke. How did you get there? Well, I was living in Yateley. Uh, oh, so it's sort of halfway between. Yeah. Um, so it was a 25-minute drive in the morning, and I didn't mind it. I quite like the idea of driving in, getting my head in the game for the day, and then driving home and clearing my head. That is a big thing. I miss that, yeah. you know, working from home, is that you don't have that clear headspace. No. No, I find that I have to... Although I've got a serviced office now, I don't. I can't work from home. I've got two very small children, so it just wouldn't work. Um, but I do find that I have to go for a twenty-minute walk just to clear my head of an evening just before I go home. So you're in Basingstoke, and then a year later, in two thousand and six, you got to senior neg. Yes. Normally, when people get senior neg, it's because they've been approached by a different estate agent, and the boss bongs them a couple of quid <laughs> and a and a senior. Was that with you? Do you know, it wasn't. No. Um, Shocker. No, it wasn't. It actually wasn't. It was, come on. I, I, I suppose reflecting back, I don't want this to come across in the wrong way. We, in 2006, the Property Explorer and Mann & Co in Basingstoke were the two leading agents but by a country mile um, in the area. Um, we were just shy of a million pound office. 
Um, and that was a lot of, I mean, it's a lot of money now, but that was a lot of money then. A lot of money then. We had three valuers. We had six negotiators. We had two mortgage brokers. We had a reasonably sizable setup. Um, and I was quite regularly the highest performing neg um, in terms of sales agreed, mortgage uh, income and so on and so forth. So I think it was rarely by virtue of merit rather now than... with senior neg were you still office based or do, are you, were you out listing at this point i'd started to go out on listing appointments but we're talking very limited volume um, especially in 06 07 i started to do more 08 i did even more but 06 it was prom pr primarily office based you moved agents in 2009 to uh, luff associates why did you move that was pre uh, that at that time I'd moved back to Yateley. Um, I was in a relationship. We'd bought a house. We were in Basingstoke. We bought a house back in Yateley. And if I'm being brutally honest, it was more a lifestyle choice that I wanted to be a little bit closer to home. Um, but as you can see from my res resume there, it was the wrong decision. Um, I, I didn't. I loved the property explorer. I, I really did. It was. I've always worked in businesses where the businesses are kind of run through me as a person. I become a part of it, um, and, I, and I just didn't enjoy that environment. And it just so happened towards the end of two thousand and nine. There was obviously with the way in which the market had changed. Yeah, the market changed. It, it was getting a bit harder. Yeah, and the focus for the property explorer because of the change in the market. I love sales. I did lettings, but love sales. The focus for the property explorer had become more lettings heavy but it was about growing the portfolio rather than having a pre-existing one that was strong. Um, Luff Associates were a very well-established letting agency in Camberley. So I took the decision at that time based on the way the market was and the, and the focus of the business to step away uh, because sales had almost been not forgotten about, but had been left behind. Um, yeah, but in 2009, not much was selling, was it? Not a huge amount, no. But, but you love you want you you love. I loved the sales aspect. What did you specifically love about estate agencies? What did I love? I actually enjoyed the challenge. I I really did enjoy, especially in the OA when it started to. The challenge of what? The challenge of creating the deal, finding the buyers, securing offers, um, you know, negotiating the deal. For me, lettings was very much chop in, chop out, and a lot of the the, the work was done at the back end, uh, which property management was never going to be my game. If you don't mind me saying that last set, not this last sentence, but the sentence before was, was quite different to how most estate agents would actually answer that question. I don't know if you noticed this, but you, you, you said about creating the deal and putting a deal together. Yeah. Whilst if you ask most estate agents, their thrill is actually getting the listing and sod the rest. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Okay, it is all about listings, listings, listings. We don't care if we sell them or not. It's all about getting one over the com competition. Why is your? Why have you got a different mindset? This, this is a compliment, by the way. I oh, appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I. How do I say? It? I, I want to say it so it comes across in the right way, Chris, because I don't want to come across. Just say it from the heart, mate. Okay, so from the heart, I don't find securing the listing that difficult. Um, I don't find whether it's difficult or not is irrelevant. It's the thrill. Yeah, but I don't. I don't find it thrilling to win one over on the competition because my view is that unless I can sell what I've secured, okay. it's meaningless because at yeah, the end of the day... But I'm being naughty here. Of course. You've got one over the competition. But it's meaningless. If I've got it for the wrong reasons, I've topped it or I've had to cut my, you know, chop my knees off on my fees or whatever else, then my view is, is unless I can list it on the right terms that are mutually beneficial to both client and myself, 
unless I can sell it, it's meaningless. Why do you think most estate agents act like it's all about the listing? I mean, you know, right move pie charts and it's all about, look <laughs> at my market share, I'm brilliant. You know my thoughts on this. No, 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 and I'm aligned with you. Culture, I think it's the culture that's bred within. And was that, did that come from your boss, at, you know, back in Camberley in 2004? Was that first boss? Morning? Yeah, probably Simon. Bearing in mind, Simon and Richard, as I say, both worked at Romans in Camberley before they left and set up their own businesses. Richard Richard's branch manager, Simon, assistant, very similar morals, values, ethics, and slightly different operations. Simon was very customer focused. Richard was a little bit more business oriented around volume, but still with the same core values. But naturally they came together. But they blended. Yeah. 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 Isn't that interesting? Because quite often you, the most successful, not, not, not often, not always, but often you do need both sides. It's very rare to have that in one person, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel when you lose a listing? Um, I, look at, I look at loss as a better opportunity to learn than win. Because if I've gained... You really are not a estate agent, are you? Um, <laughs> I've heard that before, but I, I, I say that to You're clients. You're the most unestate agent to estate agent. One of them. And I mean this, you know, politely to the audience watching. I'm not a big fan of estate agents. Just, just by virtue of, I feel that some ways in which the business is done is immoral um, it, because it's KPI led, but it's not about the individual. It's about, and it's one of my topics that I wanted to discuss, it's about the way in which those businesses are run and the way in which people are compensated. And so I feel that then it, it breeds this competitiveness rather than the ability to collaborate and get the best outcome for the people that it matters most to, and that's the homeowner. So, no, I suppose I'm not. <laughs> it is a compliment. Um, so, so you're in Basingstoke, working for the Property Explorers for three or four years. Yes. Was equity ever uh, mentioned in terms of getting into the business? You know, you'd have been growing them by then. Well, obviously, when I went back to the Property Explorers branch manager in 2010, um, I suppose this is something I've reflected on primarily for preparing for this conversation. Um, it's a reflection on me, I guess. When Richard contacted me to say, look, the opportunity is available. Would you, would you be willing to come back and head up sales? Like, Great. I love the business. I miss it. So let's do it. Um, he offered me a basic salary with no commission package. Um, and that was that. So I sat down with that offer and I thought to myself, okay, I, I, I need something more than what is on the table. So let's try and broker a deal. Um, the business in, bear in mind, we were nine, a million pound business back in 06, 07. When I came back to take over the pipeline was 124K. So it's significantly, because lettings was such a major focus, it dwindled. So I looked at it and went, okay, fine. I approached Richard and said, okay, 30K fixed with no benefits isn't gonna work for me. My proposal back to you as a counter is 18K basic, but I want 10% of everything we complete on. Because I knew full well, even if I broke even, I'm still earning 30, but I knew I could grow it back. And he, we did that deal. So there wasn't an equity deal at any point, but we brokered a deal where financially it. Did you hope in those, you know, 11, 12 and 13 before you left, that there was a potential equity deal there? I think... Or was that probably you were in your 20s and you thought, well... Do you know what? I think if what happened in 13, late 13, which led me to Purple Bricks, I think if that hadn't have occurred, I think the conversation would have come about. 
um, because I was running it. Richard was then not involved. He was off doing other things. So what did happen in 13 that, that made you move over to the dark side of the purple bricks? <laughs> the purple side. Uh, I was approached because um, obviously 13 was pre-launch. Um, I received a phone call from someone that had been um, employed by the Bruce's to monitor certain businesses in various towns and contact those businesses uh, to have a conversation. Um, I met with Kenny and Richard Jakes, who was the Lettons director, oh. met with them and Top me, people. Sorry? Top, both of them top people. Absolutely. I met with them both. Uh, it, was, it was very random because you have to bear in mind, Pepper Bricks were a, a non-entity at this mm. point. So um, I was asked by this person, I'd not spoken to Kenny or Richard at this point, I was asked by this person to travel to Swindon an hour from where I lived to meet them at a services um, to have a conversation about this business I knew nothing about. But there was something about it that intrigued me. You've got to go out and find out, don't you? It's, exactly. So there was this this intrigue. So I thought, okay, I've got nothing to lose. It's an hour out of my way, eight o'clock on a Wednesday evening, I think it was. But all my friends and my family and my other half of the time said, what are you doing? You, you mean some, some sort of setup. Meeting some dodgy bloke at a service. At services. Two dodgy folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we spent an hour and a half together. Um, I signed an NDA because they wanted to show me all the bells and whistles that were going to be uh, unveiled. And um, I made my decision pretty quickly thereafter that, the vision that I was, I'm not going to say sold, but the vision that was shared with me, I bought into it. I bought into it. So you were one of the first territory owners? I was one of the first. I think it was 30. And in, the, in those early days, you, you were doing the valuations. You didn't have anyone? I had nobody, no. So I was the territory owner for Basingstoke um, and a couple of the surrounding villages and bits. Um, so value, I was doing everything. Can you remember those early days? being running up and down the M3? Vividly, vividly. Um, yeah, because there were, there were a few people that I became, obviously we, coming back a step, we did our training course. Um, so Feb, it would have been around Feb 14th, Feb 10th um, was our first day where all of the, we were in two groups. One group was with Michael, the other group was with Kenny. I was with Michael um, at the Aegeus Bowl in Southampton and there were maybe 15 of us in that group. Um, some are still at Purple Bricks um, and we all became very tight because the, the training program was the longest in history at Purple Bricks because of the launch not being then until I think May. Um, so we were all together for like six, eight weeks beforehand. Um, and it was this kind of, Will it work? Won't it work? What, how will it how will it be received by the public? And in those early days, you've gone from this kind of six to eight weeks of really building everything up, and then the lights get turned on. You're like, okay, where's the business? Um, so I suppose that first, that was the first lesson for me in that it wasn't just going to come to us. We all had to go out and find it in some way, shape, or form. You were spending millions on TV adverts, but it doesn't. It didn't land straight away. It didn't have an impact. Over, didn't it? it? It wasn't an overnight impact. It was a few weeks because obviously people are seeing these TV adverts for a business that had no real, had no traction, nothing. No listings, nothing. Um, but then it started to come. Then the TV adverts really started to kick in. And I'd say it was only three or four months before it really started to gain momentum. Um, and then, yeah, it just went nuts. They say in those early days that it was very much like a family the culture was very close-knit, yeah. I think the way in which that first six to eight weeks of training rolled out was indicative of that. But interesting story, and I don't know whether anyone else from ex-Purple Bricks that sat on the sofa and shared this story, but obviously we had the two groups, the Kenny and the Michael group. Um, we all came together at the Grand Hotel in Brighton 
for the first time, this was the first time our group met the other group, it was like two different companies had come together. And we, it, it, but it was initiated by Michael and Kenny competing with each other. So then the two groups for the first day that we were together, it was like we were two completely separate companies, all battling to be better than the other. It was bizarre. And then all of a sudden it clicked and everyone just, yeah, became very tight. They were happy years, weren't they? The first couple of years were great, yeah. So you were a territory owner for a couple of years. I was. Did you get people that worked with, alongside you in the te in the patch? Yeah. So um, my old assistant manager, so I'd left the Property Explorer, my old assistant manager wanted to come over, so he joined me. Um, we had a viewings assistant that came across as well. Um, and then as my Basingstoke business started to grow, um, I was offered more areas to cover. Um, so then by the time I became a regional director, I think there was eight, yeah, there was eight local property experts working within my territory. But you had to give that up because you went from, you know, from being a, a poacher to a gamekeeper. Yeah. You, you became a regional director. Yeah. Why do you, why did you become a regional director for Purple Bricks when we had, you had eight territories probably earning some quite decent money? <sighs> the, do you know the honest answer and, and, it would probably be status. I was 29. Um, I felt a part of that business. Like you cut me in half, I bled purple at that point in time. And so I felt, despite the fact that I was taking a massive It's interesting, when you were at the, um, when you were at the Pro Property Explorer, you said you, earlier on in the conversation, you felt like you were running your own business. At the Property Explorer, I pretty much was, you know, pr from two, 2010 to pretty much when I left. I was day-to-day -day operationally running that business. Richard wasn't involved um, other than to make major decisions. So I would say it's status. I, I, got, I, got, I got caught up, ego even. Um, the ability to be a regional sales director for the Southeast, 150 people in that region, 16 territory owners. Um, I suppose if I was to look at it from a slightly different lens, it would have been the ability to influence and help others. That's a big thing for me. But I think in the early stages, it very much would have been about that status change and wanting to be closer to the decision-making. You then went to become regional director for London. Yeah. Was that... So did you... You left South East and went to become big, big dick of London. <laughs> it was alongside... I don't know whether you're familiar or you've had um, the chap on the sofa. I'm not sure you have, but Christian Howes was um, the sales director for London at the time. London had... A growth plan. The business was focusing very heavily on trying to get London to catch up with the rest of the country more rapidly. Absolutely. Um, so Christian asked me whether I would then consider working alongside him in the London operation. Um, obviously, that there was a little bit of a, a gap in the middle um, where I'd, I, I took some time out. I lost my mum in 2017, um, so I took a little bit of time out. And when I returned to the business, um, that was when Christian approached me and said, would you be willing to come work alongside me? How did it hit you that you lost your mum in your early 30s? Uh, like a steam train, to be fair. Um, it was tough because obviously I wasn't living at home. Um, my sister was in her late teens, early 20s. Um, and it was quite a drawn out, you know, my mum had cancer um, and it was quite a long process. Um, so it was very difficult, very difficult. Did it change you in any way? It changed me in a major, major way. How? Um, now I'm a parent, now I'm a dad. Uh, it's changed my outlook massively. Do you, if you don't mind me, how old are you now? 36. Do you think about that then? 
by the sounds of it, you were a cocky swine at 29. Big swinging dick. <laughs> I wouldn't say I was cocky. I, I would li okay. I'd like to think anyone that knew me at that time wouldn't say that I was cocky, but... But you, but there was some ego there. I, yeah. I can't, I mean, if you yeah, don't no, mind no, saying, no. I can't see any now. No, no, there was absolutely, I, I would say I had an ego of sorts. Yeah, I, I would like to think I harnessed it in the right way. But yeah, there was an ego there for sure. Do, do, you, do you think losing your mum at such an early age made you reflect on how you were as a person? Yeah, I, I think the short answer to that is yes. Um, I think losing my mum probably humbled me a little bit and made me think, I'm a, I've always been very career focused. I've very, very been, I've always been someone that will always, I've never been the smartest person in the room, but I will probably outwork most people in that room. It's just by, by virtue of who I am. Because that's what your father instilled in you, hard work. Yeah. Um, and if I'm not the smartest person in the room, I want to learn from that person. So that's probably, if you're digging a bit deeper underneath the surface, I'm probably giving you a surface level response as a self-preservation mechanism. But you dig deeper, it's... I recognise I'm not the smartest person in the room, so I want to get closer to the people that are. So by becoming a regional director, I'm getting closer to the, the working cogs of the business. And I'm so you learn could, more. So you could learn more from the Bruces, so because they are very inspirational people. I'll give them it, that. It, it was a learning opportunity. I took a huge pay cut, but I knew that the pay that I had could only have so much lifespan, whereas if I took a step back financially, I could move exponentially forward in terms of what I would learn and how I would grow okay. as a person. But not many 30-year-olds would know that or do that. No, I guess not. Or late 20s even. You said a few minutes ago that when your mum passed away, you took some time out. How long did you take out? Two and a half months. Was it unpaid? Paid. Hit you that hard? Yeah, fully fully supported by the business. I, I, I can't, yeah, I can't knock Purple Bricks for the way they supported me when I lost my mum. I carried on working for about two months after she passed. And then I, I, I don't know what happened to me. I had, the, I guess, a bit of an implosion and I just had to throw my hands in the air and say, look, I, I can't focus. I'm not in the right headspace. Um, and I took two and a half months off. I then contacted Paul Vickstaff, who was a uh, national sales director by this point. Um, and I was very honest with him. I had a great relationship with Paul and I said, I don't think I can come back. And he didn't question me, didn't challenge me. He was living in York at the time. I was living down in Basingstoke. And he said, say no more just agree to have a coffee with me, just meet me. Um, this was on a Thursday or a Friday, um, and we met halfway, met in Oxford, um, well, it was a bit further than halfway for him. On the Sunday, we sat and had a coffee for an hour. Um, and did he talk me around? Yeah, he did. Because I went to that meeting on the basis that we were gonna talk about my exit. And he talked me around and he said, don't do it. Don't do it, your head's not in the right space. If you need more time off, take more time off, but don't do it. Um, so I didn't, so I went back. A good thing to come back? I felt appreciated. I felt supported. I felt cared for. Um, I think I suppose I was at a point in my life where I just lost my mum. So, Okay, but there's, there's plenty of people that lose their mum but don't have two and a half months off. No, 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 no. But I think I was a bit lost in all of that um, because I've always been so work-focused. So I think I'd gone through that that process of almost beating myself up that I should have done more. And I think you, you, the relationship, you'd, you'd been in a relationship with your childhood sweetheart and you just, that had just finished as well, hadn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That hadn't long ended. Um, so if you think about it, the three pillars of, of home, family and work had all been kicked from underneath you. I suppose so. I suppose so, yeah. Um, well, the other way, yeah, you know what I mean. The two had gone and work was there. Yeah. And, and, it couldn't all go on work. No, 
no, no, no. Something had to give. Something had to give. Um, and I'll be, I'll be eternally grateful for them giving me that break because I think I probably would have gone down a very different path had I not had that time out. What, what have you learned from that that could help people watching this when they have such a major loss in the family? Um, the learns that I had make more time for family. If you are incredibly career focused, that's okay. It's still, it's not going away, but, but give more time. Um, and God forbid, if you do lose a family member, on reflection now, what advice would you give? It's okay not to be okay. It's okay to open up. It's okay. I, one thing that I've always been, and I learned from losing my mum, is I've always been quite a guarded person. So if things bother me, trouble me, I've never really shared it outwardly. And I think the biggest learn from that is it's okay to talk. It's okay to seek advice. So do you think in hindsight, hindsight is a beautiful thing. 20 and all that, yeah. That, that in hindsight, if you'd have talked to your closer friends and opened up a bit quicker, it might have not been two and a half months. It might have been a bit... Might not have been any time at all. Um, I didn't talk to anybody. I just shut down and just ploughed into work even deeper. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I would have handled it a lot better. So I think being able to talk... See, my, my biggest issue with it all was losing my mum. I am by nature someone who wants to find solutions to problems. It's just how I'm built. Um, and because I couldn't control the outcome, I couldn't fix the problem, I think it consumed me. I couldn't, I couldn't stop my mum from dying. And I think that's where this inner conflict came from. So that's why I, I yeah, I sort of... Because you can't solve everything, can you? That, that, and that was, that was probably that the biggest big learn, one. is if anyone out there has uh, an element in them where they feel they want to control their entire environment, they want to be able to fix everybody's problems, until that happens to you... Are you a bit of a control freak? I wouldn't say I'm a control freak. Um, do, do you love to be in control? I think in honesty, no. I don't. I like to see other people around me being empowered. I actually like to see others do really well. Um, I like to make sure things are done right. So that might make me a bit of a control freak. I want to make bit sure that I've got it prop. Uh, yes and no. Yes to the degree okay. that I like things done to a level, but, but, but not so much that it holds me back from getting it done. So excellence, not perfection. Yeah, I strive for it. I don't, I don't hang on it. I mean, do you fear people taking advantage of you? I've had to think about that. The reason I've hesitated is probably the answer is no, unless I've created the environment by which they can do it. And you certainly don't fear rejection because you said you don't really care if you lose the listing because if, if I've got to pull my pants down or do something silly, there's no point in... No, I, I, rejection isn't really a major thing for me. Um, which it is for most estate agents, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So you're not, again, we'll come back full circle. You're not a normal estate agent. But I don't think I'm a salesperson. And I think a lot of estate agents are bred to be salespeople. I think they're, they're personal. I, I, I interviewed a, an estate agency trainer and they said that estate agency is like Tinder for ugly people. That <laughs> <laughs> So you get to meet lots of people and they tickle you under the chin, but you don't have to have sex with them. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, fair enough. You can see that's why. You know, <laughs> you know um, so you came back. You came back to Purple Bricks. I did, uh, and I think that's where you met your current wife. Yeah, yeah. We're not married. We're not married. Don't not do yet. It. No, no, no. Not yet. Yet. Um, no, yeah. Engaged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Okay. We've got two children and a mortgage together and a business. So I think we're uh... get your bloody finger out. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get hers out. Um, yeah. So I came back 
And this is what I mean. This is where I'm very grateful in many ways, external to the business, because had I decided to walk away, my life that I lead now wouldn't exist. And I'll be forever grateful for that. Um, so I met Hayley. She was the regional director for the Midlands um, within Purple Bricks. Um, and then, yeah, the rest, as they say, is history. So you moved up to Derbyshire? I did. Okay. Is she from the, the area? She is. So yeah. the family's all Derbyshire here. Derbyshire born and bred. All of her family are Just around the, us. Yeah. Six fingers on each hand. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I come from Lincolnshire. We've got seven, so I can yeah. say that. Okay. Sorry, Hayley. Um, so you left Purple Bricks in 2020. Did you leave with Hayley at the same time? Yeah. Yeah. 2021 was when we left. Okay. Did you see the change that everyone talked about? It was the reason for me making the decision that I made. Um, I've always had the desire and the aspiration to do something that I could call mine. Um, and in some ways, when I was at the Property Explorer, that environment had been created. Then when I joined Purple Bricks, that environment had started to become a reality. Uh, then there was a big change around at Purple Bricks, late 2019, just before the pandemic. Uh, the business was restructured entirely. So certain TOs lost their licenses within the business. Um, and basically there were fewer TOs that were looking after much larger areas. Um, and so I took on a role looking after, although despite living in Derbyshire, I took on a role looking after Birmingham, huge patch, um, lots of local property experts in that business. But then the business decided to roll out a project and the project just reeked of employment in terms of every, all of the components that were being built into this project. It was called Project Elon. And they were putting various people in place to do certain roles that I had already built into my localised business. They were rolling out certain ideas and concepts that we were already rolling out. So to me, it was a case of this is all going to get taken away. And that wasn't for me. There was never a time where I wanted to be employed again after being a regional director. So did you go before they, or did you take some form of redundancy? No, I, I went, I left. Um, that project was rolled out, I believe, if I remember rightly, December of 2020, maybe. Right. Um, and by the February, I, I knew enough to know my main, mind was made up, so I had to serve three months' notice. And did Haley go at the same time? Yeah. yeah. By that point, because Stanley had been born in September of 2020, um, Hayley was operating in more of a supporting role within the Birmingham business. So we left together. What did you do then? The planning had already started for the launch of what we do now, the Avenue. Um, we partnered with Jack Durkin, who is our business partner. And why is that? Why is that? I mean, I, I, can see, I can see why a lot of people need an extra person. That could have been Hayley. Yeah, I think... The main reason for the partnership coming about is probably like we talked about earlier in the conversation with the Richard and Simon, Ying and Yang. I think that's where Jack and I, uh, uh, we complement one another's skill sets. Hayley was always very career focused. Then when Stanley came along, and we've now got Margot as well, her maternal instinct took over. And as much as she operates in the business, she wants to be mum first. There goes. Which, which was, I found very interesting for someone who was so career focused, so laser focused. I found it very interesting that, that that maternal instinct was so strong and, and I respected it massively. Um, so, yeah, that's where Jack and I. Parted. So who is Jack for some people that might not know him? Jack Durkin, um, he's from Sutton Coalfield. So he almost operates the West Midlands part of our operation. Fantastic estate agent, um, brilliant with people. 
but also very, very focused. He's very, I'm more, I guess, the creative. I'm probably more vision. Jack's very much implementation and delivery. Is he ex-Purple Bricks or? He is. That's how we met. There you go. God, you lot get around, don't you? <laughs> well, a lot of people work there, Chris. <laughs> so the Avenue's been going now for two years. It has. What advice would you give to anyone who might be thinking of setting up their own self-employed model from the broker point of view, not the uh, not the person coming in as a, as a... So if they were to replicate the avenue as a brokerage, um, what advice would I give? Uh, make sure your foundations are solid from the get-go. Make sure... What do you mean by foundations? Um, what I mean by foundations is, is people know the role that they need to play. So, for example, when we launched, it was me, Jack, um, Michelle, who came with us from Purple Bricks, but from a behind-the-scenes perspective looks after all of our admin and bits and pieces, make sure the, the wheels keep turning. Um, and we brought a couple of um, agents with us who partnered with us from the get-go. And I think the foundational piece is the learnings for us is we've had to change CRMs a couple of times for varying reasons. Um, there's things that we are, I have no issue in sharing uh, publicly. There are things that we've learned that we, in hindsight, just wouldn't do today. And so making sure the foundations are correct. There are always going to be mistakes you make along the way. I think if, if anyone out there is looking to launch a brokerage or even a self-employed model uh, or becoming self-employed, sorry, if you wait until everything is exactly as you want it to be and all your ducks in a row, you'll never start. So we took the decision to pull the trigger and go, but there were elements within what we structured initially that weren't quite right the way we wanted them to be, but we very quickly adapted to them. What else would you do differently in hindsight? The way we recruited, um, I think the self-employed model takes a very particular type of person. It's another topic. Um, I feel that anyone can do it, and that sounds very that is going to be controversial. It's the it's their attitude and their personality and their ability to be consistent, which I think is a big blocker for a lot of sale, a lot of agents always looking for this new shiny object or this new silver bullet for winning listings or whatever else. It doesn't exist. You have to be boringly consistent. So if anyone can be boringly consistent, it's just a case of whether yeah, they can. But that's the self-employed agent. So let's come back to the brokerage, which was my original point. Okay, yeah. You know, what would you do differently? So, sorry, from the recruit, that was the recruitment piece. Yes. So it was the type of people. Um, we Our focus was more on, because we wanted to do low volume and better quality marketing, better quality service and fees and everything else, we focused too heavily on people that were more service delivery type people rather than people that could actually hunt and gather and secure and get themselves out there. Because that's the thing That's the thing with self-employed estate agencies is that someone who's great at converting might not be very good at actually getting the valuation in the first place. This is it. And someone that's very good at converting might not then very be very good at looking after the customer through their journey. So that's why it becomes about being a very rare breed if there's certain elements of your character that fall in line. So the recruitment strategy initially would be something that we would look at again. What other advice would you give to someone thinking of setting up a brokerage model? I know you're giving your secrets away, but no one's going to, no one's watching this anyway, so I don't worry about it. <laughs> I, the thing is, it's that age old thing, isn't it? It's like you give away a lot of advice for free because you know 99% of people aren't going to action it. Chris. Correct. So I don't mind sharing. I'll, I'll, I'll lift the lid on our business entirely. What else would we do differently? Um, I would say that some of the key functions within our business. So we've got Ben, our creative media director. We've got Holly, who's, I can't give Holly a title. She's like head of client experience, whatever you, she's just brilliant. I think we would have brought them in a, from the get-go. 
And and how many agents do you have now after two years? Fifteen. Do you think that could, should be more? Um, we because we're self-funded, we wanted to grow slowly initially so we've hit year two our plan was always year two if we had anywhere between 10 and 20 agents so we're bang in the middle but if we had 15 agents in the business by the time we hit year two that's when we wanted to kick on and we're now at that point and what does that look like um so 50 agents by the end of next year so by the end of 2024 yeah that's a big ask when you consider that you know everyone's got exp on their lips you've got iad iad that have come to the uk you know, it's getting a bit warm and hot under the collar there. What, yeah. what do you guys offer that probably others can't? It's a really great question. So from our point of view, we're not about volume. Um, so I suppose the primary piece for us is about quality over quantity. It's about having a blend of brand and personal brand. But, but then you look at EXP, they're bragging that they've put a thousand houses on the market, but there's 350, 400 of them, which means they're only putting on two and a half houses they're not exactly volume, are they? No, and I think the, the key piece there is a lack of brand. It's all about personal brand. So obviously I didn't want to go down a path of, you know, talking derogatory around a, another model. Um, no. But that's where blending brand with personal brand is working well for us. I agree with you on that one. It is a, it is a you need both. Yeah. So commercial brand, agency brand, we're helping our agents that join us build personal brand. So if you look at our Birmingham operation in particular, um, the knock-on effect of what Jack and Emma are doing is then benefiting our partner agents that are on the periphery of them. So we're building almost concentric circles around existing patches so that there's a knock-on effect. James, thank you for your time today. Uh, thank you for a wonderful story. And I look forward to seeing you in five or ten years' time back on the Watkins sofa for you to update your, your story. Thank Fantastic. you very much. Yeah, thank you.